This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I'm Reverend J. Stewart Glover, and you are listening to Faith Talk. Through our dialogue together on this platform, we aim to draw relevancy from the biblical text while bringing clarity to our own religious experience. I am joined by my wife, Stephanie, today. Hello, everybody. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good. Good. That's good news. So we're going to be reading and exploring a portion of scripture that comes from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, from verses 22 down to 33. And we're going to start out with um, from verse uh, chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. So I would just ask Stephanie, please read this well-known story, which is often referred to as Jesus healing a blind man. Absolutely. The verse reads, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading that so well. Yes. If I could put a topic on this today, I would entitle it, is in the form of a question, is the church seeing clearly today? So let's add a little context. This comes from the eighth chapter, but we jumped in all the way down at the 22nd chapter. So there quite a lot happens, the 22nd verse, quite a lot happens before we get to that 22nd verse. Before we get to our selected portion of scripture, we find Jesus feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. The seven loaves were multiplied miraculously and everyone ate and there were even some leftovers. And through the person of Jesus, God's providential care was demonstrated. The story moves on and Jesus continues his journey with the disciples. And the scripture mentions that the disciples forgot to bring bread except for one loaf. And as that is being talked about, Jesus says to them, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now the disciples, they they were discussing this with one another and they said, Is it because we have no bread that he's saying such a thing? Let me put it to you this way. The warning of Jesus had nothing to do with them not having much bread to eat. It had all to do with the teaching and practice of the religious leaders in Herod. To be careful of what you're hearing from the religious leaders in Herod. So this text that we have selected today, we find it lying between narratives of godly provision and bringing 
clarity relative to who is the person of Jesus. That comes after our selected portion of scripture when, when uh, Jesus poses the great question, who do you say that I am? So here we are in the middle of all of that. Jesus heals a blind man. And as it was read, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now when I read that first, the beginning of the, the, the 22nd verse, when I read that, isn't it wonderful that this blind man has some people who were concerned enough about him, they cared enough for him, that they would bring him to the one that they heard was able to heal. He was able to give sight to the blind and he, he caused the deaf to hear and turn water into wine. When they brought their friend to Jesus, the Bible says they begged Jesus to touch him. They had great faith. They knew that a touch from Jesus could liberate someone from whatever troubled him. In this case, it was the lack of vision, the lack of sight. So then, the Bible says that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and, and led him outside the village. But let me say this. I love this part of the story simply because Jesus takes the man by the hand and walks with him outside of the village. And we don't know why he walked him out of the village. Maybe it was for privacy, to get away from the crowd. Maybe it was to get, a, get to an intimate place where it was just Jesus and this blind man alone. Whatever the purpose was, they retreated from the normalcy of the day. And um, to add to that, I visualized Jesus gently taking this man by the hand and leading him away. You know, taking someone by the hand is a personal and caring thing to do. It reminds me of how I take my grandson's hand and we walk and talk with each other. I was thinking, by hindsight of course, Jesus separated this man from the distractions and the commotion that comes with the crowd because of the method of healing he was going to use. Amen. Well, it was a journey. It was a retreat. He took the man by the hand. And I'd just like to interject something here, Stephanie, that we may also find ourselves in a position where we need to and are able to take someone in need by the hand and lead them to a place of healing. Often our uh, ministry of companionship or the ministry of presence comes in and, and this person in need may just need a companion along their journey. And we can be that for some people. So you said that um, they got away to, to a place where he could uh, roll out this unconventional way of healing. Yes. That's a good observation. <clears throat> when the Bible says that in verse 23 continues, it says that when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus then asked him, do you see anything? So my goodness, 
Here it is that we get to this unconventional method of spitting on the man's eyes. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of speculation about this unconventional method. Yes. But what's important, it's important to note that God can bring healing and introduce healing into our lives in uncon- unconventional, unexpected ways. Yes, he can. And we don't know all about God and all of his ways that, you know, we, you hear people say the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? Yeah. But what's important to me is not only that he's able to do as he pleases, but it was followed by Jesus' putting his hands on the man's eyes once again. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of the garden, the story of creation where man formed, where God formed man from the dust of the earth. And now, Jesus is putting his hands on this creation, on the man's eyes. And he asked him, you know, do you see anything? He, he, he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. <laughs> so what do we notice? As his healing began to kick in, things were a little distorted. And Jesus ended up touching him again. And so it is with our life uh, transformation, you know, our theology, our view of God and our view of ourselves in relation to God in, in our growth, as we grow, it may change. And, and, and let me say this, sometimes people equate healing with an instantaneous act. But in this case, it took a second touch from the Lord in order to bring clarity into this man's sight. So once again, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. In other words, just go home. So, sometimes we have situations in our lives that can't be resolved immediately. They need time, you know, kind of like credit repair. We shouldn't expect people who have suffered years of, say, abuse or sickness, etc., to be instantaneously healed. It can happen, but not always. People may need several encounters with their loving Savior. And with, with every touch, each encounter that they have, They will build trust and belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of Almighty God. Every moment they spend with the Master will help them see themselves clearly as freed from whatever it was that was holding them captive. I I like the, the thought of healing taking time yes because yes we read stories of of men jumping up and running and 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 all of these sorts of things but in in our life we 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 bear so much trouble and you know whether it's uh, abuse as you said or shame and these things take time to 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 be named and 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 to for us to be called out from our the bondage of the slavery those things that try to keep us separated from God. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't expect people to walk into the church perfect 
or even as they walk down the aisle for the first time to come back the next week as a perfectly made church Christian. No, that doesn't happen. It takes time. As a matter of fact, we call this process sanctification. And what sanctification is and means is that um, the believer uh, begins to, you, you've accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is in you. And now you begin to partake of the holiness of God in your daily life. And, and, and you, you experience this transformation on the inside. And it's not just a, a physical healing. It's mind, body, and spirit. All, everything about you is being transformed and uncovering the image of God that is within you. So, yes, it takes time. So that's why, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, people get saved, as they say, we don't throw them into leadership positions in the church because uh, they need time to, to reconcile things. They need time to, to, to learn some things. So and we don't, unlearn some And things. unlearn some things. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so we see so far that um, this man required a second touch because he couldn't see clearly the first time. My question to us was, does the church see clearly? Are we seeing clearly today? So now as this story continues, we get to see that Peter, who had spent a lot of time with Jesus... You know, Stephanie said we, we need to have several encounters with the Lord. Well, guess what? We need a lifetime of encounters with the Lord. Peter didn't get it the first time around. And, and Stephanie, if you, if you would read um, verses 27 to 33, we can take a look at that. Yes, I will. Verse 27 reads, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Amen. So here we see Peter, who boldly proclaims you are the Messiah. And I don't know how long it took for him to now be referred to by Jesus as get behind me Satan and so here's the thing the Jewish messianic expectation was um, one of which they expected the Messiah to certainly come in as a man of war and overthrow the government Stephanie you're trying to say something and, and, and I'm glad that you, you cleared this up because after reading these verses 
after what could be seen like a conventional miracle of feeding 4,000, followed by an even more miraculous healing of the blind man, Jesus asks his disciples a question. Now, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly says that Jesus is the Messiah. Then moments later, Peter reprimands Jesus for teaching his disciples his uh, disciples, about his impending suffering and death. But my question was, who is the Messiah in Peter's mind? Well, again, Peter, and I guess I jumped ahead a little bit, but Peter, uh, the Jewish messianic expe expectation was one that envisioned the Messiah as coming as a mighty man of war to overthrow the government and um, free the, the Jewish people from their uh, oppression that had been going on for many, many years. So when Jesus began to share with Peter what would happen to him, Peter couldn't reconcile that. See, the way God works and moves is beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. And so what Peter couldn't understand, he, he challenged Jesus as being wrong. He thought that he should correct Jesus. I would say he got out of his lane. Mm -hmm. So Peter didn't see clearly who the Messiah was. His Jewish messianic expectation was not did not meet up with what Jesus was talking about mm -hmm. in terms of the suffering that he was about to uh, experience. So Peter didn't see clearly. And again, the question for us today, for the church, as believers, are we seeing clearly? Or do we possibly need another touch from the Lord? I believe we do. I know I do. Mm. So do I. If we see so clearly, as we claim to, why are there so many different Christian denominations with opposing theologies? If we see so clearly, why are people still hungry? Mm. Because if we saw so clearly, we, we would know that Jesus said that we should love our neighbor. Mm. If we see so clearly, why are people that identify as Christians currently turning to violence to achieve their political agendas? And if the Christian faith community sees so clearly, why are people who identify as Christians willing to overlook the immorality and immoral practices of, of current people they're trying to place in power? They excuse their behavior simply because they align themselves with a particular political party. When Jesus says, who do you think, who do you say I am? What kind of God do you serve that supports hatred towards one another? Who do you think that God is that he would endorse your attaching his name to your agenda? Hmm. So it's no surprise that Jesus goes on to touch this man a second time because he didn't get it the first time. And so it is with us. We need another touch from the Lord. 
And we need to revisit that question of who do you think I am? We need to revisit our image of God. I'm sure that your image of God has changed since your childhood. When I was a child, I kind of thought of God in the periphery of my existence, of my mind. Um, God, uh, for me, was far off, like a celestial scorekeeper who, who kept track of my good deeds and my bad ones. And, and I thought that, you know, at the end of some time, he would just be, he would be the one who would count up the score sheet and, and press the button, decide my fate. But as I've grown, now I know that there's a God who loves me and is close to me. So close as to dwelling within me. So now, what do we take away from this story? What are some simple things that we take away from this story? Well, my takeaway makes me ask myself some questions. And the big one is, who is Jesus to me? Is he the son of God or not? And if he is, can he use any method he wants to bring healing into my life? Will I accept his healing or will I get in the way? And am I willing to spend the time necessary studying, praying, listening to his voice when reading in order to grow and get to know him better? These things take time. So my, my um, takeaway, as you said, Stephanie, is that our healing, the healing process takes time. Sanctification takes time. It's a, it's Christianity is never a thing where you've arrived at your final perfection. Here, Amen. Here on this earth, that is why it is important for us to prayerfully engage in, in, you know, Bible studies and readings and reflections and prayerful reading of the biblical text, and and being, you know, in fellowship with a church family. I know that COVID took us out of the church for for a while. But we need to be um, in communion with the church family. We not, God did not uh, create us to be solo, to fly solo, as they say. We need to be part of a faith family. We need to engage with the word of God, not only to read it, but to expect to hear from God during this prayerful reading and, and, and praying, get to hear from God. So it doesn't happen all at once. Our theologies will change. The theology has been defined as a, a faith that seeks understanding. It doesn't say that theology is a faith that has arrived at understanding. It seeks understanding. So we need to press on and be uh, not so arrogant to think that we, have, that we know it all. And we just need to uh, hold on to God and press through. And by the way, don't think that we should ever step out of our lane and correct Jesus. <laughs> that would be a bit much for me. So the question is, who is God? 
to you? And who are you to God? How do you see God? How do you imagine God? How do you imagine yourself in relationship with God? And and as you ponder that, what is your response? How do you go forward in life knowing that God lives in you and that that you want to serve him, which is done through your service through other people? So who is God to you and who are you to God? That is the question for the day. We just ask God to help us to see a bit more clearly in this troubled world, especially to look past the ideologies of people who identify themselves as Christians and and, um, wreck all kinds of havoc. So let's press on for love, justice, and peace in this world and make it a better place until Jesus comes back. Thank you for being a part of our listening community. You've been listening to Faith Talk, and I certainly thank you for being part of this listening community. Now, I want to remind you that you can go to the website, www.ReverendJStewartGlover. And on this website, you can leave your comments on these episodes, which are open for criticism. On the website, you can register as a guest on this show. You can contact me directly by email right through the website. You can even leave me a voicemail. Um, I would love to hear from you. And I will get back to you in reply to your questions and inquiries. So thank you for being with us today, and I'll see you next time. Amen. Amen. Amen.